Section 9 of the History of Chemistry by Thomas Thompson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Your reader is Rosie Roberts from California. The ink of the ancients was lamp black, mixed with water, containing gum or glue dissolved in it. Atramentum indicum was the same as our china ink. The purpurissium was a high-priced pigment. It was made by putting crata argentaria, open parentheses, a species of white clay, close parentheses, into the cauldrons containing the ingredients for dyeing purple. The crata imbibed the purple color and became purpurissum. The first portion of the crata put in constituted the finest and highest-priced pigment. The portions put in afterwards became successively worse and were of consequence lower priced. We see from this description that it was a lake similar to our modern cochineal lakes. That the purpurissum indicum was indigo is obvious from the statement of Pliny, that when thrown upon hot coals it gives out a beautiful purple flame. This constitutes the character of indigo. Its price in Pliny's time was ten denaria or six shillings and five pence half penny the roman pound which is equivalent to eight s seven one third d the avoirdupois though few of none of the ancient pictures have been preserved yet several specimens of the colours used by them still remain in rome and in the ruins of herculaneum among others the fresco paintings in the baths of titus still remain and as these were made for a roman emperor we might expect to find the most beautiful and costly colors employed in them. These paints and some others were examined by Sir Humphrey Davy in 1813 while he was in Rome. From his researches we derived some pretty accurate information respecting the colors employed by the painters of Greece and Rome. 1. Red paints. Three different kinds of red were found in a chamber opened in 1811 in the baths of Titus namely a bright orange red a dull red and a brown red the bright orange red was minium or red lead the other two were merely two varieties of iron ochres another still brighter red was observed of the walls it proved on examination to be vermilion or cinnabar two yellow paints all the yellows examined by davy proved to be iron ochres sometimes mixed with a little red lead orpiment was undoubtedly employed as is obvious from what pliny says on the subject but davy found no traces of it among the yellow colors which he examined a very deep yellow approaching orange which covered a piece of stucco in the ruins near the monument of caius cestius proved to be protoxide of lead or a massicot mixed with some red lead the yellows in the aldobrandini pictures were all ochres and so were those in the pictures on the walls of the houses at pompeii three blue paints different shades of blues are used in the different apartments of the baths of titus which are darker or lighter as they contain more or less carbonate of lime with which the blue pigment had been mixed by the painter this blue pigment turned out on examination to be a frit composed of alkali and silica fused together with a certain quantity of oxide of copper this was the color called chuanus by the greeks and cerulean by the romans vitruvius gives the method of preparing it by heating strongly together sand carbonate of soda and fillings of copper 
Davy found that fifteen parts by weight anhydrous carbonate of soda, twenty parts of powdered opaque flints, and three parts of copper fillings strongly heated together for two hours gave a substance exactly similar to the blue pigment of the ancients, and which, when powdered, produced a fine deep blue color. The cerulean has the advantage of remaining unaltered even when the painting is exposed to the actions of the air and sun. There is reason to suspect, from what Vitruvius and Pliny say, that glass rendered blue by means of cobalt constituted the basis of some of the blue pigments of the ancients. But all those examined by Davy consisted of glass tinged blue by copper, without any trace of cobalt whatever. For green paints. All the green paints examined by Davy proved to be carbonates of copper, more or less mixed with carbonate of lime. I have already mentioned that verdigris was known to the ancients. It was no doubt employed by them as a pigment, though it is not probable that the acetic acid would be able to withstand the action of the atmosphere for a couple of thousand years. 5. Purple Paints Davy is certain that the coloring matter of the ancient purple was combustible. It did not give out the smell of ammonia, at least perceptibly. There is little doubt that it was the purpurism of the ancients, or a clay colored by means of the purple of the boxinum employed by the Syrians in the celebrated purple dye. 6. Black and brown paints. The black paints were lamp black. The browns were some of them ochres and some of them oxides of manganese. 7. White paints. All the ancient white paints examined by Davy were carbonate of lime. We know from Pliny that white lead was employed by the ancients as a pigment, but it might probably become altered in its nature by long continued exposure to the weather. Chapter 3 Glass It is admitted by some that the word which in our English Bible is translated crystal means glass. In the following passage of Job, the gold and the crystal cannot equal it. Now, although the exact time when Job was written is not known, it is admitted on all hands to be one of the oldest of the books contained in the Old Testament. There are strong reasons for believing that it existed before the time of Moses, and some go so far as to affirm that there are several allusions to it in the writings of Moses. If therefore glass were known when the book of Job was written, it is obvious that the discovery of it preceded the commencement of history. But even though the word used in Job should not refer to glass, there can be no doubt that it was known at a very early period, for glass beads are frequently found on the Egyptian mummies, and they are known to have been embalmed at a very remote period. The first Greek author who uses the word glass, Hylos, is Aristophanes, in his Comedy of the Clouds, Act Two. Scene 1. In the ridiculous dialogue between Socrates and Strepsides, the latter announces a method which had occurred to him to pay his debts. You know, says he, the beautiful transparent stone used for kindling fire. Do you mean glass, Ton Highland? replied Socrates. I do, was the answer. He then describes how he would destroy the writings by means of it, and thus defraud his creditors. Now this comedy was acted about 423 years before the beginning of the Christian era. The story related by Pliny, respecting the discovery of this beautiful and important substance, is well known. Some Phoenician merchants in a ship loaded with carbonate of soda from Egypt stopped, 
and went ashore on the banks of the river Bellus, having nothing to support their kettles. While they were dressing their food, they employed lumps of carbonate of soda for that purpose. The fire was strong enough to fuse some of this soda and to unite it with the fine sand of the river Bellus. The consequence of this was the formation of glass. Whether this story be entitled to credit or not, it is clear that the discovery must have originated in some such accident. Pliny's account of the manufacture of glass, like his account of every other manufacture, is very imperfect, but we see from it that in his time they were in the habit of making colored glasses, that colorless glasses were most highly prized, and that glass was rendered colorless then as it is at present by the addition of a certain quantity of oxide of manganese. Colorless glass was very high priced in Pliny's time. He relates that for two moderate sized colorless drinking glasses, the Emperor Nero paid 6,000 sesterci, which is equivalent to 25 lira of our money. Pliny relates the story of the man who brought a vessel of malleable glass to the Emperor Tiberius and who, after dimpling it by dashing it against the floor, restored it to its original shape and beauty by means of a hammer. Tiberius, as a reward for this important discovery, ordered the artist to be executed, in order, as he alleged, to prevent gold and silver from becoming useless. But though Pliny relates this story, it is evident that he does not give credit to it, nor does it deserve credit. We can assign no reason why malleable substances may not be transparent, but all of them hitherto known are opaque. Chloride of silver, chloride of lead, and iron constitute no exception, for they are not malleable, though by peculiar contrivances they may be extended, and their transparency is very imperfect. Many specimens of the colored glasses made by the ancients still remain, particularly the beads employed as ornaments to the Egyptian mummies. Of these ancient glasses, several have been examined, chemically by Klaproth, Hatchet, and some other individuals, in order to ascertain the substance employed to give color to the glass. The following are the facts that have been ascertained. 1. Red glass. This glass was opaque and of lively copper-red color. It was probably the kind of red glass to which Pliny gave the name of hematinin. Klaproff analyzed it and obtained from 100 grains of it the following constituents. Silica, 71. Oxide of lead, 10. Oxide of copper, 7.5. Oxide of iron, 1. Illumina, 2.5. Lime, 1.5. Total, 93.5. No doubt the deficiency was owing to the presence of an alkali. From this analysis, we see that the coloring matter of this glass was red oxide of copper. 2. Green glass. The color was light, verdigris green, and the glass, like the preceding, was opaque. The constituents from 100 grains were silica, 65, black oxide of copper, 10, oxide of lead, 7.5, oxide of iron, 3.5, Lime, 6.5. Illumina, 5.5. Total, 98.0. Thus, it appears that both the red and green glass are composed of the same ingredients, though in different proportion. Both owe their color to copper. The red glass is colored by the red oxide of that metal. The green by the black oxide, which forms green-colored compounds. The various acids. 
particularly with carbonic acid and with silica. 3. Blue glass, the variety analyzed by Klaproth, had a sapphire blue color and was only translucent on the edges. The constituents from 100 grain of it were silica, 81.5, oxide of iron, 9.5, alumina, 1.5, oxide of copper, 0 0.5, lime, 0 0.25, total, 93.25. From this analysis, it appears that the coloring matter of this glass was oxide of iron. It was therefore analogous to the lapis lazuli, or ultramarine, in its nature. Davy, as has been formerly noticed, found another blue glass or frit colored by means of copper. And he showed that the blue paint of the ancients was often made from this glass simply by grinding it to powder. Klaproth could find no cobalt in the blue glass which he examined, but Davy found the transparent blue glass vessels, which are along with the vases, and the tombs of Magna Gracia, tinged with cobalt, and he found cobalt in all the transparent ancient blue glasses with which Mr. Melunin supplied him. The mere fusion of these glasses were alkali, and subsequent digestion of the product with muriatic acid was sufficient to produce a sympathetic ink from them. The transparent blue beads which occasionally adorn the Egyptian mummies have also been examined and found colored by cobalt. The opaque glass beads are all tinged by means of oxide of copper. It is probable from this that all the transparent blue glasses of the ancients were colored by cobalt, yet we find no allusion to cobalt in any of the ancient authors. Theophrastus says that copper open parentheses, chalcus, close parentheses, was used to give glass a fine color. Is it not likely that the impure oxide of cobalt and the state in which they used it was confounded by them? Open parentheses, chalcus, close parentheses. Chapter 4. Vasa Morhina. The Romans obtained from the East, and particularly from Egypt, a set of vessels which they distinguished by the name of Vasa Marina, and which were held by them in very high estimation. They were never larger than to be capable of containing from about 36 to 40 cubic inches, one of the largest size cost in the time of Pliny, about 7,000 lira. Nero actually gave for one 3,000 lira. They began to be known in Rome about the latter days of the Republic. The first six ever seen in Rome were sent by Pompey, from the treasures of Mithridates. They were deposited in the temple of Jupiter in the capital. Augustus, after the battle of Actium, brought one of these vessels from Egypt and dedicated it also to the gods. In Nero's time, they began to be used by private persons and were so much coveted that Petronius, the favorite of that tyrant, being ordered for execution and conceiving that his death was owing to a wish of Nero to get possession of a vessel of this kind which he had, broke the vessel in pieces in order to prevent Nero from gaining his object. There appear to have been two kinds of these vasa marina, those that came from Asia and those that were made in Egypt. The latter were much more common and much lower priced than the former, as appears from various passages in Marital and Propertius. Many attempts have been made and much learning displayed by the moderns to determine the nature of these celebrated vessels 
but in general these attempts were made by individuals too little acquainted with chemistry and with natural history in general to qualify them for researches of so difficult a nature some will have it that they consisted of a kind of a gum others that they were made of glass others of a particular kind of shell cardan and scaliger assure us that they were porcelain vessels and this opinion was adopted likewise by whittaker who supported it with his usual violence and arrogance many conceived them to have been made of some precious stone some that they were of obsidian count the valphium thinks that they were made of the chinese argillmatolite or figure stone and dr hager conceives that they were made from the chinese stone yu Bruckman was of the opinion that these vessels were made of sardonyx, and the Abbe Winkleman joins him in the same conclusion. Pliny informs us that these vasa marina were formed from a species of stone dug out of the earth in Parthia, and especially in Carmenia, and also in other places but little known. They must have been very abundant at Rome in the time of Nero, for Pliny informs us that a man of consular rank famous for his collection of vasa marina having died nero forcibly deprived his children of these vessels and they were so numerous that they filled the whole inside a theatre which nero hoped to have seen filled with romans when he came to it to sing in public it is clear that the value of these vessels depended on their size small vessels bore but a small price while that of large vessels was very high this shows us that it must have been difficult to procure a block of the stone out of which they were cut of a size sufficiently great to make a large vessel these vessels were so soft that an impression might be made upon them with the teeth for pliny relates the story of a man of consular rank who drank out of one and was so enamoured with it that he bit pieces out of the lip of the cup putavit exio ante hos consularis ob emorem abraso aegis margin and what is singular the value of the cup so far from being injured by this abrasure was augmented utamen injuria illa pretium augurat nequoi est hodi morini alterios prastantior indacatora it is clear from this that the matter of these vessels was neither rock crystal agate nor any precious stone whatever all of which are too hard to admit of an impression from the teeth of a man the lustre was vitreous to such a degree that the name vitrium marinum was given to the artificial fabric in egypt the splendour was not very great for pliny observes splendour his sign viribus nitric viribus quam splendour the colours from their depth and richness were what gave these vessels their value and excited admiration the principal colors were purple and white disposed in undulating bands and usually separated by a third band in which the two colors being mixed assume the tint of flame sed en precio veritas colorum sabin circa magentibus simaculis in purpurum candorumque et tertium ex utraci ingestion value per transitum coloris purpuro rubescente ad lactacandescente perfect transparency was considered as a defect they were merely translucent this we learn not merely from pliny but from the following epigram of marshall eminus bibibus vitru tumura pontice quere 
Ruda perspicus, Nidua vena calyx. Some specimens, and they were the most valued, exhibited a play of color like the rainbow. Pliny says they were very commonly spotted with Salus veruxicae, non eminentes, sedut in corpore, etiam plurumque sessilus. This, no doubt, refers to foreign bodies such as grains of pyrites, antimony galena, and sea period, which were often scattered through the substances of which the vessels were made. Such are all the facts respecting the vasa marina to be found in the writings of the ancients. They all apply to floor spar and to nothing else, but to it they apply so accurately as to leave little doubt that they were in reality vessels of floor spar, similar to those at present made in Derbyshire. The artificial vasa marina made at Thebes in Egypt were doubtless of glass, colored to imitate floor spar as much as possible, and having the semi-transparency which distinguishes that mineral, the imitations being imperfect. These factitious vessels were not much prized nor sought after by the Romans. They were rather distributed among the Arabians and Ethiopians who were supplied with glass from Egypt. Rock crystal is compared by Pliny with the stone from which the Vasa Marina were made. The former, in his opinion, had been coagulated by cold, the latter by heat, though the ancients, as we have seen, were acquainted with the method of colouring glass, yet they prized colourless glass highest on account of its resemblance to rock crystal. Cups of it, in Pliny's time, had supplanted those of silver and gold. Nero gave for a crystal cup 150,000 sesterti, or 625 lira. End of section 9